Is man basically good or bad? You know, most, I believe, would suggest that man is basically good. You know, negative experiences and a faulty environment sometimes make a person bad, but by and large, most people tend to be good, or so we like to think. But what does the Bible have to say about that? When judged by the book, how do we look? Well, the Apostle Paul has been painting a pretty dark picture of man in the first couple chapters of Romans. He's pictured the unrighteous as being filled with wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. He said they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And then he went on to paint the self-righteous as hypocrites who preach one thing and do another. In chapter 3, verse 8, he then puts this question on the lips of the righteous. What then? Are we better than they? His answer is, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Everyone. Jews and Greeks alike. God's chosen people and the pagans are all under sin. Unless something is done to alter their position, they are all under the power the control, the condemnation of sin. And this isn't just Paul's evaluation of the human condition. He goes on to string together in good rabbinic fashion half a dozen references from the Psalms and prophets that paint an even darker picture of man's condition. Through them, he gives us the biblical evaluation, evidence, and explanation of man's condition and then shows the desired effect of being judged by the book. We look first at the biblical evaluation. Romans chapter 3, now verses 10 through 12. As it is written... There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Now that's a pretty grim picture, isn't it? But is it accurate? Well, if it's in God's word, it must be accurate. Now, of course, we've got to keep in mind that Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. And he is thinking of man apart from the saving and sanctifying grace of Christ. 
apart from Christ and the breastplate of righteousness he provides, there is none righteous, not even one. And as we've seen before, righteousness is absolute. Either you are or you aren't. God doesn't find a socially respectable sinner more righteous than a notorious sinner. No one is right enough to be considered righteous by God. Now, if you find this hard to comprehend, you're in good company. Because no one understands. No one fully understands the mind and will of God. In fact, no one even seeks to really know God. Now, with all the people seeking a religious experience, you'd think that someone was actually seeking for God. But the psalmist says no. Many are seeking for a God, one they can fashion to their liking and use to their advantage. But no one is seeking for an almighty God to whom they must bow in complete surrender. No one is actually seeking for the God who created them and to whom they are accountable. So all have turned aside and have become useless to God. Now, the word translated useless is the word that was normally used for milk that had turned sour. Everyone has turned sour. No one does good, not without polluting what good they might do with impurities, with self-serving motives or hidden agendas. There is not even one who measures up to the standard of good. So no, man is not good by nature. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That is the biblical evaluation of the condition of man. But does the Bible just assert this, or does it offer evidence? Most assuredly, it does. Let's read on, verses 13 through 17. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace have they not known. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's the mouth that reveals what's in the heart. Someone has said, if you want to know what's in a man's 
heart, hit him in the mouth, and see what comes out. <laughs> well, the psalmist gave us a hint of what might come out. When he pictured a man's throat as an open grave. Talk about halitosis. You know, it takes more than a breath mint to get rid of the stench that comes out of our mouth. With our tongues we deceive and with our lips we strike out like a venomous snake. Our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Even when we try to keep it contained, every once in a while something slips out that shocks us and reveals the condition of our heart. So our mouths condemn us. They confirm the biblical evaluation of our true condition. And so do our feet. Isaiah said their feet are swift to shed blood. We are continually bombarded by reports of senseless murders that confirm this is true. And even if we don't actually kill anyone, we certainly do leave a trail of destruction and misery everywhere we go. Even when we're trying to do good, we mess things up. We get selfish and self-serving and end up hurting people all the time. And then there's the evidence of war. You know, world peace may be something contestants in beauty pageants long for, but continual wars and rumors of wars make it evident that the path of peace eludes mankind. Something is wrong inside of man that makes our best efforts at attaining and maintaining peace in the world that it comes to naught. So what is it? What's the explanation for man's condition? The answer is surprisingly simple. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The bottom line is that men do not fear God. They do not respect him as God, nor do they fear the judgment is coming. That is true of despots and dictators around the world, and it is true of every man who hasn't bowed before his creator. They do their own thing and could care less what he thinks about what they're doing. Now, God doesn't want man serving him out of fear. If he wanted that, he could do it. It would be very easy for God to strike fear in the heart of man, and he has done it on occasion with a little fire and brimstone or a little, well, actually a lot of water. But God doesn't want us cowering before him for all eternity. He wants us willingly bowing before him in love, an adoration, and that cannot be forced. So he gives us the freedom to fear him, to respect him, or to not fear him. 
And most men choose not to fear him. In fact, they choose to ignore him. And even we who choose to honor him as God lose sight of him more often than we care to admit. We get caught up with the daily challenges of life and forget the God to whom we are responsible. Even when we know what he expects, even when we put ourselves under his law, we fail to obey it. We're just not good enough. And so we find ourselves judged by the law we seek to obey. The effect of such judgment, however, is exactly what God wants. Verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You may find it surprising, but God never gave us the law to make us good. Paul makes it very clear that by the works of the law, what the law can do, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. We cannot do what the law requires. Now, obviously, there are some laws that we don't break. I doubt if any of us have actually murdered anyone. And many of us can go through life without committing adultery. But who among us can be totally honest all the time or never covet anything? No, the law doesn't make us good. In fact, that was never its purpose. The purpose of the law is to show us how bad we are. Paul said, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law, we identify the sin in our life. We become conscious of sin. Now, it's true that the law also functions as a guide for society. It tells which behaviors to encourage and which to discourage. It even sets some external standards of behavior that can be enforced. But the law can't make us good. It can never justify us before God. It can never make us acceptable to God. Why? Because no one can do everything the law requires. And to fail in one point of the law is to become guilty of breaking the law. And if you break the law, you deserve the punishment ordained by law. And the penalty for sin, for breaking the law, is death. But God didn't 
gives the law to condemn us. Only to make us realize that we deserve to be condemned. He gave the law to make the world accountable to him. To make the world realize that it stood guilty before him. And he did that again. Not to be able to condemn the world, but to be able to save the world. He did it that every mouth might be closed. That all excuses and attempts to justify ourselves might be silenced. He did it so we would realize we could never save ourselves. And would therefore throw ourselves on his mercy and seek his forgiveness. The forgiveness that he makes possible through his son. That is the purpose for the law. And that's why the book judges us so harshly. God wants there to be no question about our condition. He wants us to acknowledge our condition so we will accept the remedy. And that's not easy. Spiritually, or physically. Most of you know that a year ago, I was made aware of several medical conditions that I didn't know I had. It was, I was, in fact, so sure of my good health that I had thrown away my Medicare RX card. <laughs> I felt fine and had no symptoms that anything was wrong. But then my doctor found something on a test that indicated I might have a problem. Further lab work, a biopsy, EKGs, monitoring, testing, sleep studies, and consultation with specialists eventually convinced me to let them treat me for prostate cancer, AFib, and sleep apnea. Sometimes I still wonder, however, whether I really had or have any of those problems. It's hard to admit we have a problem that needs addressing when we feel that we're fine, spiritually or physically. That's why Paul works so hard to convince us that we are in need of forgiveness. We have to acknowledge our sin before we will accept the remedy and be forgiven. That's why he makes it clear that we have been judged by the book. If you accept its evaluation of your condition, if you find the evidence convincing and the explanations reasonable, and if its effect is to close your mouth, to silence your attempts, to excuse or justify your behavior, then it's time to say, Jesus, I come to thee.